in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. So read along with me. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that part of this passage is very familiar. And maybe you're singing the kid song in your head, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. My favorite verse was always about Satan sitting on attack. Ouch. Always thought that one was fun. Um, And then maybe some less familiar, maybe still familiar verses in 17. Do not think that I, Jesus talking, have come to abolish the law or the prophets. And what it's talking about there, the law and the prophets, it's talking about in the Old Testament, it's talking about the books of the law, the first few books, as well as the words from the prophets. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to abolish those, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law until it all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So remember, Jesus is teaching to this crowd, to this multitude, um, often ordinary and unschooled people. And I do think that as, as he's teaching, there's another thing that he's accomplishing in this manifesto, so to speak. And one of those, I believe, is to correct or contradict some misrepresentation of God, specifically by the Pharisees and the scribes or the religious leaders of the day, because they were saying that following God is supposed to look this way. And Jesus is telling them, not really. I mean, it's the same law and it's the same prophets, but you've got it all backwards. It's exactly the opposite. It looks this way. And so as he's talking, it's kind of turning everything upside down and on its head. So he's correcting some misunderstandings and some misteachings that were happening in the day. And Jesus was pretty hardcore on this crew of religious leaders and these these Pharisees, these scribes, because they were portraying God incorrectly. They were portraying the things that God had spoken to his people through the law and the prophets incorrectly. They were showing the way to have relationship with God incorrectly. So I'm going to share with you, uh, Matthew 5 is towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. I'm going to share with you tonight in Matthew chapter 23, some of the things that Jesus had to say to the Pharisees towards the end of his ministry. And I'm just glad I'm not them because it'll make your toes curl. He says, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And then down into verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, this next phrase is really interesting to me because so many times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, in verse 25, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. I don't know about you guys, but I don't exactly want to go to a restaurant that only washes the outside of their dishes. I I don't mind sharing a meal with you, but I would prefer not to eat out of your dirty dishes. 
And he's saying that's, that's what they've done. Uh, you blind Pharisee, first you clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I loved a quote that I read. I can't even remember who it was by. Um, But it said, following Jesus and living the kingdom way may be difficult, but it's not complicated. I'm going to say that again. Following Jesus and living the kingdom life may be difficult, but it isn't complicated. And if it's complicated, then we're probably doing something to what Jesus has said that it wasn't intended to be done, right? So it's an invitation to go and to try to understand what is being said in Scripture. Elsewhere in Scripture, and when Jesus is getting the disciples and he's telling them to come after me, he simply just says, follow me. That's not very complicated. When someone walks up to you and says, hey, come on, come with me. Well, you don't have to sit there and analyze, okay, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean now or do you mean later? And like, how fast should I follow you? And how much space should I have behind you? It's like, just come on, just come with me. He says, follow me. So this sermon, Jesus is unpacking what kingdom living looks like practically. And it really isn't complicated. But I want to talk for just a moment about hypocrisy and overcomplication. Because I think as a culture, we have a tendency towards both. And I was Googling some things. I Google lots of things when I'm just like thinking thoughts and reading articles. And Mac, I'm really sorry about ruining your day with the the equine burgers. I'm not actually using that analogy here. So if you want to talk about it more, let me know. It was gross. Um, But anyway, so one of the things that I Googled (laughs) was talking about... um, six hobbies that you can plausibly lie about. A hobby you don't have to have, but you can convincingly sound like you have, maybe at a job interview, or, and I'm not advocating this, okay, it was a humorous article, I'm, I'm going to blame it on them, don't, don't do what I'm saying, or, you know, when talking with people socially, so here are the six hobbies they said you can get away with lying about. Improv, because if you tell somebody you've got an improv show at 1 a.m., like, who's going to show, right? Uh, and you can pretend to be funny if you, even if you aren't. Um, Or travel, you know, they said you can just Google the place and talk about it as if you've been there and look at some really good pictures, okay. Um, Hiking, you know, you just walk and you're like, oh yeah, man, my legs are so stiff and sore. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to know that you actually didn't hike? Or or reading, you know, you can just pretend, read a good summary and act as though you've read the book. Um, Or a foodie. You can act as though you're a foodie, and, and that lean cuisine, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm experiencing, or I'm, I'm testing out some, some creative interpretations of ta- Italian dishes. I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, or sleeping, you know, you can, you can talk about sleeping as a hobby. Um, now, there's a lot of people, right, that um, maybe act as though they have a hobby, uh, but they're posers. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and not, this is not a call out to any of you guys. You're allowed to have a truck if you want to have a truck. But just because you have a trailer hitch doesn't mean that you know how to pull a trailer, right? Just because you have a truck with a trailer hitch doesn't mean you even didn't know how to back up to a trailer. My minivan has got a really cool, like, Batman trailer hitch cover, but your girl does not know how to hitch anything or pull it. Now, my husband is incredible. He just, like, backs it in like no problem. I can barely parallel park, Okay. Um, I try, but I'm not great at it. So just because I, I have the stuff to hitch a trailer doesn't mean I'm skilled at that, right? Or just because somebody has this souped-up Jeep or other off-roading vehicle 
doesn't mean that they actually do those things, right? Uh, I've got family in Moab, Utah, and Jeeping is a whole thing, and Jeep Week, and people come from all over the country uh, for Jeep Week, and they're like flipping vehicles and stuff. You can tell the people that are hardcore into this because their vehicles are dirty, and they got dings and scratches, and it's like a badge of honor, right? Um, so when we were in Moab visiting some family, um, my husband and I decided to leave the kids with my grandma and my aunt and uncle, and we were going to go hike Delicate Arch, which is beautiful. And we woke up pretty early because it gets real hot out there. Um, and we, we drove up to Delicate. There was still, like, frost on the ground. And we took a selfie in the parking lot, you know, and, like, my hair was down and all fresh and clean. And, you know, our, our faces looked all the same color um, and, and put together, and we had our coats on because we were a little chilly, and we took a selfie just a little bit later, and, you know, faces are a little splotchier, and uh, my hair was up at that point, and then we took a selfie a little later, and the coat's off, and my face is like all kinds of shades of I can't breathe, and it's shiny, and my hair is like stuck to my head, right? And by the way, I also was hiking in my tennis shoes because I didn't even have the right kind of shoes to hike, and it's like slick rock, so it's like real dangerous, right? And I see these people just like waltzing up uh, to Delicate with a backpack and a 50-pound kid on their back. I'm like, oh, you're amazing. So as we're taking pictures as we go on, we're looking rougher and rougher, right? We made it all the way, okay, which is really impressive. Just got to, you know. Um, but it was intense because we're not hikers, right? And we, we enjoyed it and we enjoyed the experience. But the next day, we hiked like 10 miles that day. The next day, we slept in the basement in my family's house. And I had to go to the bathroom in the morning. I'm looking at the stairs, do I really have to go, though? Because my legs are so tired, so I'm, like, crawling up the stairs because my legs were so sore from the previous day because I'm not a hiker, right? I'm a poser, like a wannabe. Uh, and I want to invite Mariah up here because, like, she's not a poser like I am. She actually is a hiker, and I'm going to have her share with you what it means. Like, like what makes somebody a hiker, friend? Sweat. Sweat, grit, um... Some of you, I think I joked that, like, Kyle proposed, like, he gave me a rock on a rock. Um, that wasn't a joke. He made me hike, like, three and a half miles, like, up to. So if you want to go to Bell Mountain, Bell Mountain is beautiful. Um, but, but you said yes. But like, I he said made yes. you hike, and I you thought it yes. was beautiful, yeah. and you said yes. Yeah. Whereas I'd want to kill somebody, because that's yeah. not my cup of tea. Yeah. But anyway, continue. So what do you do when you hike? What do you wear? Um, very comfortable clothing. Um, you should, probably shouldn't hike in jeans. I've seen some of you run in jeans across campus, probably also not super great to run in jeans. Um, thick socks, layers, because if you head out at like 5 a.m., it's going to be chilly, but once you get to the summit, it's going to be a little bit warmer. Um, so you want to be in layers. You're not there to look pretty. Um, you're there to see a view. You are not the view. So, so tell me a little bit about like your hiking boots. Um, what are they, what kind of condition are they in? Well, they're Merrells, so they hold up okay. Um, but they're pretty rough. I mean, they're caked in mud at this point, so they're not super great. And, and you said that there was even dust on them from your last hike, yeah. right? Yeah. And then, like, so let's just say that you're going on this camping trip with Kyle, as you guys do. Uh, tell me the condition that your tent or sleeping bags are in. Um, it still has a smoke from the fall float trip because, to be honest, that was, like, the last time that we were able to camp um, last fall. But, like, there was a bug in it. 
when I opened it up. Um, so I don't really take care of that super well. But so it's dirty. It's dirty. It's not clean. It's not. Yeah. And if I was to ask you, like, so tell me about a favorite hike. Would it be easy for you to think of a favorite hike that you've taken? Yeah. Or probably several. Yeah. And and when is the best time to go hiking? Um, well, if you ask half our staff, they're going to say in the middle of the summer because Nathaniel absolutely hates anything below, what, 80 degrees? Yep, okay. Um, if you ask me, I'm probably going to go with like a 50 degree day, 55. So, just depends on the hiker. Now, that being said, he doesn't like it, but yet, what are you doing the weekend before Valentine's Day? You guys are camping in February, okay? So, like, if that doesn't tell you who's a hiker and who's not a hiker, because we're having a Galentine's brunch inside a climate-controlled room, okay? And, like, so your stuff, it smells like dust, and yep. you got the things, and they're broken in, because even if I had hiking boots, they wouldn't be broken in, so yep. it wouldn't exactly be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and if I was to ask you to tell me, it's like, where's good places to go hiking? Um, uh, well, if you want something super accessible, so have... How many of you have heard of like Bray Conservation Area? Can I raise your hand? You can be a little bit bolder. I'm up here with a microphone, so you can raise your hand up. Okay, so that's like a mile and a half outside of Rolla Pass Tater Patch. It has a nice like two mile loop um, that's not paved like Acorn Trail. How many of you have ever like heard of Acorn Trail in Rolla? That's a good place to run. I don't run, I'm a poser there. But um, Lane Spring is a little bit of a further drive. Um, they don't always clear that one. So Hannah Kaufman and I actually hiked that once and we had like about, we got into a tick nest. Um, ooh, but the, the view is pretty. We were on top of a cliff, but then we jumped in the spring afterwards, so. And um, see again, if I ran into a tick nest, I would never go outside again. Yeah. And yet you've gone hiking multiple times and even to the same area yet yeah. again. Yeah. Because it was worth it. Yeah. So, like, right off the top of your head, you're able to name different places that you've gone. I've lived here for over 12 years, okay? This summer it'll be 13 years, and I didn't know about the conservation area until last year because she took me there. Like, because it's just not my thing, right? You want me to make you something delicious? I got that covered. If you want advice about hiking, I'm going to have to Google it because, like, I don't got it. Thank you so much. You're I appreciate welcome. that. Uh, so if, if we were to talk about hiking and stuff, right, and if you were asking me if I want to go hiking, I'm like, okay, well, like, is it too humid? Because I ain't about that. Is it too hot? Like, I can deal with cold, but let's not deal with, like, ice or potential ice. And then I would also don't want to deal with rain because of mud. And then are the mosquitoes going to be bad right now? And then, okay, but are the snakes active? Because I'm not about that either. And, well, but they've been seeing, uh, like, mountain lion movement kind of in the area. It's been our staff conversation all week long. Um, there's been, like, mountain lion uh, movement in the area, and I'm not exactly about being lunch either. So, like, there's, like, a day and a half in Missouri that I would consider, like, good hiking time. Versus from them, it's like, well, I mean, it's mostly any time, but especially this time, okay? So you can tell the difference between a poser and someone who truly is. I may have some of the materials for camping. I've got a tent. I've got a hammock that I have slept in once. Um, I don't even know where my sleeping bag is anymore, but I did have one, and I bought it from Aldi. It was like $15. It was awesome. But for those of you that actually go camping, you're like, well, that's not going to be a very good uh, sleeping bag. And uh, what use is your hammock if you can't even find it? Uh, because I may kind of know just a little bit about it, but I'm not actually a hiker. See, if you're a hiker, your boots are going to have mud in the tread. And if you're a lover of God, your kingdom living is going to have grit in the souls. 
If you are a hiker, your, su- your supplies won't smell like new. It's going to smell like campfire and sweat. And if you are a lover of God, your kingdom living is going to smell like sweat and sacrifice. If you are a hiker, you won't just wait for perfect weather. And if you are a lover of God, your kingdom living isn't just going to operate at convenient times. So Jesus is correcting some misinterpretations. The Pharisees may have known everything about hiking, and maybe they had all the gear, or maybe it was like driving the perfect off-roading vehicle with all the the racks and the big tires with the deep tread, but there was actually no mileage on it. There was no dings. There was no scuffs, because they maybe knew how to make it look good, but there was nothing. They were a poser. There was nothing genuine. See, they made it overcomplicated, like when I'm trying to find a good day to go hiking. Not all of you guys are going to want to take me hiking this spring, or maybe not, because I'll whine the whole time. It's fine. Um, Overcomplicated or hypocritical. And I think this text tonight, sometimes we have a tendency to make it overcomplicated when it really is pretty straightforward. Uh, And even though it may be difficult, it's a lot simpler than we realize. So Jesus is correcting some of the common wrong teachings here, and often the simplest explanation is the best one. So let's talk about salt and reread verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Okay, so I've heard this talked about and studied and preached, and I've read a lot of studies and articles about this over my entire lifetime. And some of it's been really interesting stuff, like Roman soldiers, that they were once paid in salt, and that's where we get the word salary. Okay, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, like I was doing some other study, and it was bringing us back to like Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. And um, sometimes salt is used to help like uh, the minerals in in the soil. And then sometimes like after um, a military battle, they've used a lot of salt to make it where you can't grow any crops um, in a field again, or using salt to preserve something. And all that's really interesting and really cool, but he's talking about its saltiness, and he's talking about its usefulness. So maybe, just maybe, Jesus meant exactly what he said to a simple crew of people about a simple thing in life. And maybe he's saying that salt should give flavor, and if it doesn't, it's not fulfilling its purpose. See, we as followers of Christ should enhance life. And if we don't, we're not fulfilling our purpose. So I want to tell you guys tonight to stay salty. Ha ha. Usually when we say stay salty, telling somebody that they're salty or that they're the salt of the earth or they aren't worth their salt, it has all these other other different meanings. That's not what I'm saying when I'm telling you to stay salty. Um, But what Jesus is meaning when he's telling his followers, what is he he saying when he's telling them that they're the salt of the earth? He's telling them they need to enhance the, the world that God created. And how does salt lose its saltiness? It's by nature salt. So salt is salty or it isn't salt anymore. So there's two things. When I was reading different things, and if you need to correct me later, that's fine. Um, But there's two ways that salt can basically be ruined. And the first is contamination. Because if something that is not supposed to be with salt is there, uh, and it's contaminated, it's no longer useful, right? And it's going to absorb stuff. I don't want it absorbing chemicals and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So it can be contaminated. And I want to ask you as believers tonight, what are things that you, that you are letting contaminate your obedience to Jesus? What does it mean to let something contaminate our obedience to Jesus? And usually that's sin. 
When, when there's something in our life that is displeasing to God, choices and decisions that we're making, that is a contaminant in our life that, that impacts our saltiness. The other thing is dilution. So you can contaminate salt or you can dilute it, and it becomes less salty and less useful, right? So where do you dilute or compromise in your faith? What does that look like? And I would say that, that compromise is when maybe we like what Jesus said, but just maybe not exactly how he said it, and we want to tweak it and, and take it a little bit of a different direction. We want, want to make it more, more palatable, right? So contamination and dilution will impact saltiness. And I want to challenge you guys to not let that happen with the salt in your life. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So not to let sin contaminate, and not to let compromise to dilute, but to live the way that God has called us to live. Now, this is also interesting because he specifically said not just to be salty, but to be salt of the earth. See, we as small broken grains of salt need to be dispersed. Imagine taking like a big salt block and putting that on your pasta. Not super helpful, right? Um, it needs to be dispersed, not hoarded and stored. We don't follow Jesus to stay in our comfy, cozy circles. That'd be like someone that calls himself a hiker, yet never hikes. The salt is meant to be dispersed. The salt of the earth. So why are we to be salt? For people to get a taste of the kingdom of heaven. Let's talk about light, verse 14 and 16, or through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yet again, I've heard this studied and talked so many different ways for so many different purposes. And it's been really interesting, some of the things that I've learned. And light is talked about so many times in Scripture, but maybe, just maybe, Jesus again meant exactly what he said to a simple crew of people about a simple thing in life. Light helps people see where they're headed, both near and far whether it's helping people navigate a long distance or it's illuminating a room so that you don't stub your toe, right? Light is significant and it helps you to see where you're headed. We as Christ followers should help people see the kingdom. And it, it helps me think of, it makes me think of a chapter later in Matthew chapter 6 when we read the Lord's Prayer and he's saying, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It helps people see here what the kingdom is supposed to look like. So I told you stay salty. I'm also going to tell you stay lit. Ha ha. Yes, I know. Um, but I want you guys to have this light that is illuminating. Because if light isn't illuminating, it's not light, right? So what are the two ways to make light not do what it's supposed to do? And the first thing that he talks about here is that it's hidden. So how is it that we hide our light? And oftentimes I think what that looks like is when we hide our faith or our good works, because that's one of the things he says here is that they will see your good works and give glory to God, your Father. So what does that look like? And I think it's when we're ashamed of our faith. When we, we don't want to talk about the things that God has been teaching us or what our motivation is behind the things that we've been doing, because we don't want people to think we're that person, right? And so we kind of shy away from that. I think that's hiding our light. 
when we are ashamed in our, of our faith and the way that we act because we're not willing to be open about the reason that they see that light in us. So it's hidden. Kind of like if I was to, to turn on a light and then to close the door so that it can't help with anything. What's the point of having a light if I'm gonna stick it in a closet so that it's not actually illuminating anything? So it's hidden or it's covered. And I, I kind of think about um, a lampshade or whatever, because when I think about putting a basket over a candle, I think of fire, and that's problematic. Uh, so like, I think about a lampshade, right? And when you put a lampshade on a light, like, it's still illuminating, but it's different. The point isn't the light that it gives, but it's like the ambiance and the environment, right? And it's like this cool texture on the lampshade, and it becomes more about the shade than it does about the light. So what does that look like in our life? Honestly, sometimes when we manipulate our faith for our own ends, kind of like the Pharisees were doing, when they were making it about themselves and how they look. I'm a good person because of the things that I'm doing. And the, I, you know, I have value and I have worth because of these things because we make it about us and not about him. So we're not supposed to hide the light and we're not supposed to cover the light, right? But let the light brilliantly show so that people can see the way to the kingdom, to see the way to Jesus. And then we have this weird part, and he starts talking about the law in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. It says, <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot that's talking about like the Hebrew language and some of the different symbols that they have, everything was significant, um, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But, shall, but whoever does them and teaches them, and remember what I talked about with the Pharisees earlier, that they said one thing, but they didn't do it. Whoever teaches them and does them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." Now, I don't know about you guys, but oftentimes when I've encountered this passage, I'm like, okay, I get that, but also, like, Jesus didn't really like the Pharisees' behavior, so why is he saying you have to be better than them? Because, like, they worked really hard to be hypocrites the way they were. So what is Jesus saying? So maybe, just maybe, I'm making this more complicated than it needs to be. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying the law is good. He's not saying that it's irrelevant. The law is fully impossible for us to live completely and fully, but Jesus did it, and that's why he is our means of grace, and that's why he is our, our way to salvation. And the Pharisees, let's be honest, gave a pretty good run at it. Um, there is a story I was reading about a rabbi who there was a fire, but it was on the Sabbath, and technically he shouldn't make a phone call because it was breaking some sort of connection. And by the time he decided maybe I should call um, to get some, some fire trucks here to help with the fire, it had already, like, spread and became absolutely devastating, right? So, like, and, and thought, like, it was really good, but, like, the execution and practicality of living things out wasn't quite there. So they had a good run of it, but they missed the point. So how on earth can we exceed what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing? And I would tell you this, stay genuine. Because that's the problem, right? They were a beautiful tomb that was filled with death. They were this gorgeous dish that was dirty because it was hypocritical and it wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He's saying, I want your faith to be sincere. Have genuine faith, not hypocritical faith. So what is genuine faith? You follow Jesus because you love him. It's really that simple. 
When you hike, it's because you love it. You don't wait for perfection or for spectators to do it. You just do it because you enjoy it, because you love it. When we love Jesus, we will follow him genuinely, authentically. Why are we to be genuine? It gives legitimacy to kingdom living. When we're hypocrites, people question the legitimacy of the kingdom. And that's one of the biggest complaints that people who aren't believers have about believers and about the church. It's the hypocrisy, because they question the legitimacy of the kingdom. So let's agree to stop complicating things that Jesus said that are actually pretty straightforward. If we're his followers, we should live differently, and it's going to be noticed. But it's going to point to him. Kingdom living isn't complicated. So I challenge you guys, stay salty, stay lit, stay genuine. Will you guys pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, uh, God, I, I thank you for these words of Jesus, for this sermon that he gave. Um, God, I confess that sometimes we overcomplicate things um, because we think that surely it can't be that simple. Um, but God, I ask that you would help us to get past our preconceived ideas to see what Jesus is saying and just to do it. Uh, like he told the disciples and like he's telling us, just follow me. Um, God, I, I thank you for um, how practical the things are um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that Jesus just flushes out what it looks like um, to live um, a kingdom life um, here and not just waiting for eternity. I thank you for the people here, and God, I ask that you would show us and convict us in the areas of our life um, that, that we're losing our saltiness, um, where we're being contaminated or diluted, um, ways that we're, we're hiding the light. Um, maybe we're being ashamed or we're being selfish um, and making it about ourselves and not about you or um, ways that we're hypocrites. Father, I ask that not only that you would convict us, but that we would have the courage um, to move from that place of conviction um, to a place of action. It's the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.